from New York City. A podcast from working actors, directors, and playwrights. This is the Cry Havoc Company. Hello, and welcome to the Cry Havoc Podcast. Today around the table we have... Jennifer Kerfman, Associate Artistic Director and Resident Actor. Jersey Gwizdowski, uh, Resident Actor and Managing Director of the company. Jenny Curlin, Resident Actor and Company Manager of the company. Will Clark, Resident Actor and Outreach Director for the company. And Kit Lavoy, Resident Director and Playwright and Artistic Director of the company. Uh, we introduced ourselves a little differently than we do uh, this time uh, because this is going to be a little bit of a different podcast than we usually have. Uh, this evening, we actually had an event uh, in our space, uh, one of a series that we're doing of early career workshops, where we invited actors and directors and playwrights who are in the first year or so of their career, many of whom actually had just graduated from either undergrad or grad school, uh, to come in uh, for a conversation with the group of us, um, all of whom are about 10 to 15 years into their career, to talk about how we got to where we were in our career and give them the advice that we either wish we had gotten or did get and ignored in hopes of helping them along in ways that we wish we had been helped along early on. And so what we're going to do tonight is just we haven't really talked since everybody left uh, our space and we're going to have a bit of a conversation about what it was like to talk about these things that happen in our career and to interact with people uh, who are just starting out. Uh, does anyone have anything to s- kick us off with? What always uh, is fascinating to me is how unique each of these individual seminars becomes based on the temperature of the room, by which I mean you know, where people are in their careers and, and, and what they're looking for, the specific type of information they're looking for. We've done several that are for... Uh, students that are still in school and just the difference of a year or the difference of being on one side of graduation or the other made a profound difference in the practicality and the, spe- uh, the specificity of the type of advice and the type of questions that many of the people in the room had. It's actually interesting because a lot of the people tonight were interested or seemed to kind of evolve in interest in the, the developings of a company and how you make a company and, and that kind of stuff. Where before, specifically the last one that we did was much more practical, like where do I go get my headshot? Where do I, and it, this kind of seemed more philosophically based. Well, I also think that that's something, that actually the specific last one that you're talking about, I think actually we were, we were actually brought in to some place to do it, and that's really what they were looking for. But I actually think it's something that for me, whenever I do these, these career panels, either with Cry Havoc or elsewhere, it's really the philosophy that's most important to me, mm-hmm. and, and that idea of uh, creating a, 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 a mission for your career and knowing what you think and and knowing what you want and having, most importantly, a way to understand the way your career is going to live in your life. Because uh, I I always think that those are the things that are most important to get across. I mean, it's really helpful to let them know where reproductions is to get their headshots made and, you know, to let them know, you know, what it takes to get into equity uh, and things like that. But ultimately, the thing I think that really allows people to survive in what is a really difficult business 
is being able to understand, frankly, a lot of the things that we talk about on these podcasts, but about a way to look at an audition that gives you purchase, that makes it something that belongs to you instead of uh, you going into someone else's space. Um, you know, and that idea of even the idea that a, for very much of your early career, having to have a day job and that idea of, of really incorporating that into being one of the things that you are signing up to do. You are jumping off into a career where that's part of the early career. And instead of hating the fact that you have to wait tables to realize that you have made a choice rather than to stay home in Nebraska or wherever you might have to have whatever life you might have had there. You came to New York City to be an actor. You came to LA to be an actor. And part of that is waiting tables and sitting out in the rain in line to wait to get into the equity building to audition. And even though those things can be a bummer, to really have a vision for the way that that's fitting into, that's actually in an incredibly meaningful way, a step closer to having a career. I, I agree and I think um, what's always interesting for me is finding these different models for, for seeing your success and for measuring your success as you're going. Uh, you, you talk a lot about in the audition room uh, working towards getting the call back instead of getting the role and I liked how that actually tied in tonight uh, back to your day job and letting that be a place that is facilitating your success uh, instead of the thing that keeps reminding you that you're not being successful mm -hmm. which I think a lot of actors and artists do is they feel like they're trapped in their job and it's keeping them from being the artist they could be instead of helping them become the artists that they're becoming. It is the thing that is allowing them to be in New York and auditioning. Yeah. As much as getting your resume out there, as much as getting the right headshot, as much as going in an audition, your day job, your daily life, the things you do that inspire you and your hobbies and your interests and all of those things are part of and feeding this greater goal that you have. And what's something we continue to articulate today and touch on throughout the evening was about articulating that goal so that the choices you make when confronted with career decisions, lifestyle decisions, that you can base those decisions on goals that you've articulated for yourself. That was something that um, I think a lot of the feedback we got from the attendees w was, was based in that. And also, the, the feedback was, was not largely, this was informative, or this was, I got a lot of information from this, but this was liberating, this was reassuring, this was freeing. I feel, I don't, I mean, that. It, it's such an interesting thing because actually, I mean, as a panelist, it's freeing for myself to remind myself that this is what's happening, that this is a part of it. I mean, it's a good reminder to even us, you know, and it, and it seemed to resonate with everyone that was here too. Yeah, and it is something that I um, am always astonished at the end of these things. Because I feel like we do them, and I feel like I've sat here for two hours and told people that they are going to be waiting tables for 10 years and, you know, that if they really want to act a lot, they should move to some other city and be a school teacher and do theater at night. And mm -hmm. all of these things that we do say, um, and I, I, always, I, I always feel a little bit horrible about it, and yet... People always come out at the end of it and talk about that it was an inspiring thing, but I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that 
It's embracing that choice to do that. It's that idea that you are making the choice to have this career where that is a part of the early years and it's not something that New York is doing to you. It's not something that is a mark of a failure, but it's an active choice to come and, and, and you know, fight the hard fight to get the career that you want to have. And, and I think there's a lot of power in taking ownership over that choice rather than being victimized because if you feel victimized by the fact that you have a day job by every audition that you don't get cast in etc etc it's it's you're going to have a really unhappy life i imagine i think that happens to a lot of actors you know which is actually why i i feel it's important to actually talk about the tough things that you are deciding to do or tim has actually talked about it in the past but about, you know, that actors who um, hate uh, auditioning because it's, you know, it's, it's not a real thing. But he's like, but it's being an actor and you chose to do it. So don't, you know, it's, you wouldn't sign up to be a race car driver and hate the fact that you have to steer. You know, it's, 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 it's part of the game. and that there's Just like crossing the finish line. I don't like all that steering. And the, <laughs> you know, I like the, the 500th lap of the Indy 500. So I just want to get right to that part. Um, I was inspired tonight by yeah, things that I mean, you guys said and things I was saying while I was saying them. I thought I should say <laughs> this out loud more often to people that I respect and care about and, and, and take the time to articulate those things about my career. And it's also something that like, I take for granted, my day, my, the situation I'm in and the day job that I have. And, and I feel like that Me happens too. to a lot of us. And it's a good check-in of, of where you are. Well, it, it actually really is an interesting thing that... Getting yourself the right day job situation is it can be a huge step in making a successful career. You know that 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 idea of not just taking a job and seeing what's happened, but to be one of the things we talked about tonight is to really, if you get a job, to be extraordinary at it, so that they will want you to be there, continue to be there so much that they are willing to be flexible with you to do uh, you know, the kind of work that you have to do. But it is something, you have to pay the bills until you're being paid to act or write or direct. And you know, rather than thinking of your waitering job as being this other thing that you do, to really think of it as an integral part of your career path and plan, and again, the things that are going to allow you to do the kind of work and do the kind of work for free that's going to make you the kinds of relationships, that's going to get you the paying jobs, that is going to give you the career that you want. Often you will have to work to pay the bills while you're getting paid to act, mm -hmm. write, yes. and direct. Because some stuff in this business don't pay that well. <laughs> I also think that though these are framed as early career workshops, because they act as, as reminders for all of us as what we're doing, it's, it kind of relates back to our philo philosophies on, on acting, you know, the number of hours you have to put in to really be an expert at that. It's, it's similar with your philosophy on how you're, you're shaping your career. You have to kind of keep reminding yourself over and over again. I still walk into auditions where I am result-oriented and I have to remind myself after I get out and I feel myself go inside and think, that didn't work out, I didn't get the call, what am I doing wrong? I have to remind myself. And it's, mm -hmm. it's not really just for people early in their career, it's for people anywhere in their career to, to get a reminder that they are having everyday successes and they're just not measuring them. I think it was interesting for me because I, I do think of of my career as a long 
lifelong arc. Um, but to be able to look back at some of the earlier experiences and share some of those with people, it was a nice reminder that we've been running a really long race and I'm not looking for a finish line now, I wasn't then, and I'm not looking for it in the future, but I have been running very far. <laughs> I've been doing this for a very long time and I'm, I've, I've learned a lot. And it, it sort of was a nice thing to check in with that I've learned a lot since I was where they are and I saw a lot to learn. Yeah, I think I, I, I say I think about that a lot, but I don't. I notice when I think about it that hmm. your, your career, it's one of the things we actually talked about tonight is even people who are extraordinarily well established still are hustling to try to get the projects they really want to get done done and things like that. That it's a race that never ends. Um, and so it feels like sometimes, you know, I'm not, you know, I haven't directed a Broadway show yet. So what does that mean? I think if you'd asked me when I was 18, if you're 35 and have not directed a Broadway show yet, will that mean that you should quit the business if I was 18? I probably would have said, well, yes, because then what's going to happen? Of course, I've learned enough at this point that I know that's not the case. You can actually have an incredibly successful career and never direct a show on Broadway. And also there are people who direct their first show on Broadway when they're 70. So, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's helpful to think and, and realize it's actually really heartening to realize that we can sit down with a group of people who are just getting out of their MFA program or just getting out of their BFA program and that we really do have things to share. And I mean, I think all of us are mid-career artists at this point, but um, frankly, the vast, vast, vast number of early career artists never become um, mm -hmm. mid-career artists. And you can't become a late career artist until you have been a mid-career artist. That was one of the things actually we started tonight with the question of what, what surprised you most when you entered the business. And I didn't give an answer, but one of the things that popped in my head was as I was starting the business, a lot of my friends who were already having early successes and being cast in off-Broadway shows and touring shows were leaving the business. And I, and I, and I, it, I couldn't understand why because I saw them on this career trajectory uh, but, you know, the idea of having to kind of go back out there and get it again and keep that work in between was something that even even with those early successes, they didn't feel that they wanted to do. And it's... Yeah, and there's actually... It, success actually sometimes teaches you what you do and don't want to do. And we actually have a very, very, very valued member of our community who really worked for 20 years to build his career and got his first big national tour. And the fact that the next section of his career was gonna mean being away from home for months and months at a time made him realize that's not what he wanted to do. Um, and again, and it goes back to what we were saying is that being an actor or being a director or being a writer isn't simply the act of being in rehearsal or sitting at a computer and typing. It really has to do with the fact that you have to build a life that will allow for it until you're being paid and frankly there's whole sections of your career where you will be being paid much of the time 
but you still need to pay the rent the other part of the time. And it was something, if you look back at the Renaissance, and they had a system of uh, patrons, where the idea was is that there was someone who, I actually always loved the idea of the patrons, because it wasn't they paid you for your art, they paid you to live so that you could create art, <laughs> which I always enjoyed quite a bit. But it is something that, you know, now being an actor, being a director, being a playwright, being an artist is an actual career track that people decide in high school or college they want to follow. And there aren't that many patrons out there to actually support them. And so that idea that you have to be your own patron and yeah. you have to find the way to support yourself to live in order to make the art that you want to make long enough that enough people have seen it and liked it that it can become your career. And there's something really empowering about the fact that that stuff you're doing to stay in the business isn't the stuff that's in the way. It's the stuff that's making it possible. There's no tenure <laughs> in the arts. You know, you can work for 30 years and, and still be at a point where you're looking and wondering where the next job's going to come from. And frankly, to some extent, that will that will always be the case. Mm -hmm. um, and it'll be easier and there'll be stretches that are better and some of them might happen younger or earlier in your career for you and then there'll be a period where it isn't happening as much and then it might happen again. You know, but There's no one way that it happens and it's not a gradual progression of I work more and more and more and then I'm always working and I never have to worry about it again. Um, it, it's a, it's a, a, a landscape and an industry uh, to navigate and there will be places at times you fit very well and there will be places at times there isn't a place for you and you have to continue doing your work and that goes back to articulating those goals and having a philosophy that you know what you're working on rather than being a reactive artist to the things which you hope others want from you because then you might get the thing but then uh, you likely won't but if you do you'll um, put yourself in a position where you're not bringing anything to the process. You're trying to meet uh, some need of, of someone else. That isn't a productive or helpful thing to be as a collaborator. I said another thing earlier that, you know, we, we, it's great to hear these things because we always learn them again. And, uh, and it is true, like we, we have one ex a difference being a mid-career artist versus an early career artist because it's true, we do learn them again. It is wonderful and still inspiring to hear these same things. There are two differences, two major differences, and it is entirely true that it's not an early career workshop, it's an early career workshop. Yeah. Um, because it applies at all points in one's career, at least to my experience so far, and I imagine it will continue to be the case. But um, two things is now I have experiences and concrete uh, uh, stories that I can point to because I knew I knew the that it's always possible that this person that was the associate will then become the casting director you know but now I know five people who have become that casting director and uh, have generated work for myself and my colleagues and my friends because of it so there are real world experiences to point to to help solidify that point of view and make it more real for people who are just starting out and secondly you know I read Catcher in the Rye 
periodically, once every couple of years. And every time I read it, it's great, but I get something differently out of it that I, that, than what that I got when I was 15, and when I was 19, and when I was 22, and when I was 25. That you can hear the same thing over and over again, and it is still wise, and it is still true, but based on where you are, it'll hit you differently, and resonate with you in a, in a different way that'll strengthen that, um, it'll strengthen that knowledge in you, and make it easier the next time you are reminded of it. And, and it's, it's really always helpful to hear things rephrased and recontextualized because you never stop needing to hear them because there isn't any tenure. That came up in a conversation I had after the fact with a couple of the uh, recent graduates that were here. Um, they, I, they were talking about finding some of those things, those points those ideas that maybe they hadn't thought of or they'd heard before but didn't really know what to do with them and now starting out their careers they felt like oh that that seems resonant to me that seems relevant and i said really you're going to you're going to learn these things for yourself but hopefully when you do you can look back and realize oh i heard that before and i have a frame of reference for it and i think that was true for us too i think we listened to each other tonight and were able to to reflect back on having heard those things from each other and from other people in our lives and careers earlier on, and it was resonant in a different way tonight. It really is uh, something, I mean, one of the things we, we did talk about tonight, and we've talked about at these before, is the idea of creating a community and the importance of having an artistic community and artists that you can talk to. But I think that that's a lot of it, that if you're sitting alone in your apartment with sort of your ideas of your career echoing around your head, those echoes can get really loud and distorted and there really is something about even just you feel like an audition didn't go well and having people in your life who you can sit down and tell about it, mm -hmm. there's something that's just incredibly freeing about getting it out there and being able to talk and hear other people having the same experiences as you are, that it's not something that you're doing alone or wrong or it's something to feel like you're a part of a community who are reaching for the same goals, struggling with the same things, finding solutions to the things that they're struggling with and sharing those solutions with each other. It's great for us as a staff. I mean, I don't know how you all felt about it, but as a staff to sit um, tonight in a career panel and talk about various topics, but always come back to this question of philosophy because we spend a lot of time, especially now with everything that Cry Havoc is, is doing and, and the rate at which we're expanding our programs, that we spend a lot of time articulating goals about details and about specific things that we're doing, but to sit in a room with the, the five of us speaking candidly about the philosophy, to zoom out and have that opportunity to talk about what it means to be in a company together and the value that we all put in having a community of artists to support the work that we do really is a nice reminder of the, the type of work and the reason that we the, that we have those discussions about those details and have six hour meetings about those type of things because <laughs> I mean really because because it, it's a reminder of, of I mean why what attracted why us to this, this yeah. and to this specific company right and to each other yeah specifically yeah. yes yeah <laughs> are there any things that you guys find tonight and at other events we've done this that you are especially surprised that people ask about 
or the flip side, especially surprised that they don't ask about. Tonight, we didn't hear anybody say, like, how do I get an agent or how do I go about doing that? Yeah. Or, Resumes. Resume. We got a couple things about, yeah, like a headshot thing afterward, um, inquiries. But it was really very big picture questions, mm -hmm. which is how we choose to frame the evening. But it seems like sometimes it's more of a struggle to change the nature of the conversation to that. But tonight it was very, everybody seemed very on board with a long game, big picture conversation that the details seemed secondary. I think too, with the way we set forward with the networking aspect, uh, we, that was kind of a big point that we were addressing early and talking about knowing people and getting to know people and keeping those relationships. It definitely kind of set a tone, I think, for the fact that a lot of this stuff happens organically and to not jump on the goal, set goals for yourself that might be unrealistic, like I need to have an agent by summertime and then you know when you don't have an agent by summertime you, you know you feel like you didn't weren't successful i think allowing for some of these things to happen organically through the networking you're doing and just kind of keeping good relationships and doing whatever you can do to forward your career i think that kind of alleviates some of the pressure to ask those questions well i think there's something interesting going back to something jersey said at the beginning that um each one of these conversations that we have in a room full of early career artists is unique um, in large part because of entirely because of what they're bringing into the room and I think it's interesting that perhaps the reason that those questions don't come up didn't come up tonight is is that we were dealing with people who are within a week of having graduated from programs and really trying to navigate I felt the balance between the work they've been training to do and how they're gonna take that out into the business. Mm -hmm. And so it's less a question of how do I get the job, but how do I take this artistic life that I have built and bring it out into the world? That was something a couple of, of the people who came tonight uh, who I talked to afterwards said, and frankly, it's the reason why we do these things, um, is actually, someone who was from my alma mater was saying that, that they don't talk about any of these things and what it is to have a career in your training program. It's all about how to be a great actor and then they're like, and good luck, go. And well, two things, which is one, I mean, as we've said before, it's, the, it's being a freelancer. It's a life of a freelance uh, worker. And being able to create your work and, and find work is such an essential part of, of, of what it is that you do. It's unconscionable, I think, that that's not touched upon. But I think in many, many programs it isn't. But it also is so interesting that the experience of people in their undergraduate uh, and graduate programs and high school programs is so diametrically opposed to what it is to be a professional actor, which is right. actually why I really do think it's, it's important in these things to lay out the stark realities of what you're doing and talk about ways to conceptualize it and strategize to deal with the difficult realities. But the fact of the matter is there are many, many, many people who become actors specifically 
because it is the place where they get their affirmation in life. Because they're they're because it's a place where when they go and they do something at the end of it, everyone stands up and claps and tells them they did a great job and they're in the you know, their college theater department or theater program where there are thirty kids and there are fifteen shows a semester and the worst thing that happens is they only get a lead in two of them. And, you know, all of that kind of kind of thing. And then you go to New York and if there is a less affirming place than the first two or three years of your acting career in New York, of going out on auditions that even the most talented and established people don't get the vast majority of the auditions that they go out on, if that's the reason that you are in it, it's, I mean, I actually think it's beyond like you won't do well. I mean, I think you can do some serious psychic damage if this is the thing that you identify as being the thing that gives you the affirmation, which is why I say in very seriously, uh, I, I, your art and your work and frankly people standing up and clapping for you, giving you affirmation, there is nothing wrong with that. But if that's the role that it plays for you in your life, you know, you should probably do something else to pay the bills. And there are many, many, many places where you can be the lead in three shows a year. You know, when that's not the thing, that's not the way that you're making your career. But, but I, again, I think that it's just so important to recognize that it's a totally, totally different thing to be in the pool of actors in New York than it is to be in the pool of actors at Name Your School. Really, any school because of the fact there is a pool of actors, which I mean, it's, it's an ocean of actors in New York City. And that idea of at the very least, owning the fact that you are saying this is a very difficult thing that I am taking responsibility for undertaking. It's those harsh realities um, that seem to be the most inspiring to people in the room from their comments afterward which I think is because it is freeing and it, it's um, reassuring that this is hard and it's not just hard for me, it's hard for everybody. The harsh parts are what they're already going through or already thinking about or already actively feeling. It's hearing that that's what it's supposed to be yeah. that makes them go, oh, well then I'm doing everything right. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. living, I'm living that life. And I think also it's that, that, that idea of the great unknown that at least somebody's saying you know, this is what it is. Okay, well, I can prepare for that. And additionally, I bet it's... Because, again, the number of times that people at the end of these talk about how inspired they are, and it just flummoxes me. I, I, I don't always get it. Um, but, I mean, I think that there is something about hearing people talking, because I know I think about like teachers and stuff that I had had in school, who it's they talk about their art, and it's like it's your soul and the light that shines, and you, and I, okay, I mean that's fine, and I kind of don't know what to do about it, but I, I suspect it's, there's something that is kind of inspiring about hearing a group of people talk about that these really are the hard things, these are the things that we dealt with, these are the things we continue to deal with every day, and we're still here doing it and can be pretty excited about the fact that we're doing it. That, I don't know, I mean, I, thinking about it, I guess it makes a certain amount of sense that it would be inspiring to, to hear someone talk about the business in a, you know, in a way that is clear why they are still in it while they were telling you about the parts that are hard. That's really, that's, uh, yes, I'm just sort of realizing why that's the case. Because to say, to talk about all the great stuff and to talk about getting jobs and never having to work as a waiter is just to um, 
put somebody in a position of saying, well, I'm failing at doing all of those things. I am not meeting those requirements. But to um, address and acknowledge the, the truths and the harsh realities of what the business is about, um, while acknowledging the opportunities that can present themselves, is to say, you are succeeding at dealing with those harsh realities. And we're all in the same boat, you know, in that instance, that you're doing it. This is what it is. You're doing it now. It's not something that you will be doing in the future. And it's being in a room with people who are willing to detail an authentic experience that you are already in the process of experiencing. It's, it feels true because it is true. Mm -hmm. And I also think something that, that I, I mean, we always do talk about, and there's a reason, but the number of things in all of our careers where something that we didn't think went especially well or did not feel important at the time later turned out to be very important because it was a place where we met the person who was the person who allowed, you know, who, who got us to do something else that was really important. And I suspect there's something that's kind of empowering about the idea that, you know, I might have had a really good day yesterday and not know it, you know. But I also think that's something that, that, that I do think is something that actors do. I mean, they talk about the Peter Principle. Isn't it the Peter Principle that you, you rise to the level of your incompetence? And I kind of feel like there's a lot of ways in which actors and directors and writers, but especially actors, because they're really the ones out there beating the pavement day to day, that they analyze the experience to the point of unhappiness. You know, that it's sort of, they remember the, the audition process as the one in which they didn't get the part instead of the one where they had a really great audition and met this casting director and got a call back. Like, though that, every single one of those things is a good day. Every single thing is a, uh, that is a good day. Is it the day that breaks your career? No. Is there going to be a day that breaks your career? Probably not. It's going to be a collection of all of those days that one day you're going to look around and say, wait a minute, I'm doing this for a living. Yeah. Well, and the one of those days that I think of, that, that I beat myself up about 10 years later, is also the audition that made me reevaluate how I approach auditioning. Mm -hmm. So... Even though I think of it with great embarrassment, I also think of it as a profound moment in my auditioning career, maybe mm -hmm. even my artistic career. And, and, and that leads to uh, something that stuck out and that I had never heard us say before in these seminars tonight, but talking about creating a mission statement for your acting career and having a, your own personal philosophy on how you work uh, as an actor or writer. Um, I thought that was kind of really interesting, the idea of building that kind of structure into your own personal career. Well, I will also say, I think it's important, no matter what you do, uh, for a living or even outside of your living, but there's that idea of, you know, looking and knowing what you value and what you'll stand for and what you won't. And there really is something that running this company we do have a mission and we have statements of principle and it becomes very easy when there's a question of what do we do in this situation a huge amount of the time you could just look at these are the things that we decided this company would be about and this and the right answer becomes very clear and I mean I really do encourage people to write down their philosophy and their mission for their career and it becomes really easy when you're talking about I've been offered these two jobs which one do I take 
oh, it's it's actually a little bit like that thing where they say that if you're choosing between two things, you flip a coin. If it comes up heads and you're disappointed, you know you really wanted tails. But but it is amazing, and it's not it's something that gives your career and your life a bit more shape. Because if you actually write down your philosophy and values in a way that it's amazing how clear a very confusing situation can be when you actually look at something written down, and it be you know which of those things which of these choices matches up with this thing I wrote down those many years ago as being the things that are important to me. And uh, it, it's surprising how often the answer just reveals itself. To be, to be an artist uh, who articulates his or her goals and sets out to achieve them, you're also much more likely to be in a position where you're choosing between two job options. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> well, along that, there was actually a conversation that we did not finish talking because we said, oh, we're going to record, we should stop talking. But Jen, you started talking about a really, what seemed to me to be a really interesting conversation you had with someone after. Yes. Um, this was a gentleman who came this evening with a friend, and he is not an artist. He um, is a scientist. And I sat down with him afterwards and asked him what the experience of the night had been like for him as a scientist. And he was delighted. He said it was incredibly helpful and went on to tell me that he's preparing for his medical school interviews. And he said, you know, they always ask the same question of everyone. Why do you want to be a doctor? And he said, everybody gives the same two answers. Because I've always wanted to be a doctor and because I want to help people. And he said, I was listening to you talk about philosophy and, and the philosophy for your career. And I thought, well, I have these, these two other things down the road that I, that I want to do, that I want to do once I am a doctor, what I want my career to be. And he said, now I realize that that's the answer to the question. That's what I have to articulate in order. It's the long-term goal. Yeah. And it's building your philosophy around the thing that you realize, oh, that's, that's what's really important to me. That's, mm -hmm. that's why I want to be that. And then you build everything out from there, and it, and it shapes your and career. The more that we do and the myriad disciplines and aspects of our company that we seem to apply to in our lives, it seems the more we keep arriving at that same central point, which is why I think it's on our wall. But the what are you working on thing, that really a goal-oriented approach to your acting, you know, your objectives um, and your rehearsal goals. Um, and as, in, as a staff, what were, you know, what our goals are and what we hope to achieve and how we hope to pursue those, I think, of, uh, and that's a wonderful example of how it, it uh, you know, spreads beyond that. They're really articulating what your philosophy is and what your wants are and then going about achieving those goals that are achievable and, 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 and well articulated, that transcends all of that. That really is about what it is to be a successful professional person. And building fence posts. You can't go from you know being right out of college to being a doctor that saves someone. There, there are uh, you know, steps that you need to take and there are steps to being an actor and there's a steps to everything. I mean, if you're about to become a doctor and you want to become a doctor because you've always wanted to become a doctor, then you become a doctor and you're done. And what do you do then? <laughs> but to articulate what you want to do with that is I think incredibly powerful thing to have at your disposal to know why. 
And to, yeah. and to also be open to, I mean, we, we actually talked about a little bit about when developing your own company tonight and the fact that theater companies tend to make shifts and changes and types our type certain changes over the course of our life and we always have to reevaluate we always have to be open to seeing how our career paths are changing and know it's always going to evolve and that's why these seminars like this i think are good because you do hear it differently like you know your example of reading catch on the right you do hear these things differently and they do mean different things because you're at a different point in your career and you have to remind yourself of all these questions and say oh what's my answer now Right. How has my philosophy changed? What are the things that are core that the core things that have never changed that I can always come back to, and what are the things that are evolving into something that I can further explore? Yeah. I think before we wrap up, there's sort of a, a separate little thing that that I think might be worth talking about. And as we've been talking about this, I've been thinking about it because the idea for this. Um, episode, which is, again, unlike the other episodes we usually do, and I think, frankly, we may do more like this in the future, um, actually came from Jenny last night when we were talking about the fact that we had this seminar tonight, and uh, she said, well, you know, we, we always go out and we talk about these things afterwards. Um, we should record the conversation that we have. And I totally take for granted the fact that we talk about these things afterwards. But what is the value? Why is it that if we weren't sitting here in the space with a microphone, that we would be out at Houndstooth Pub having the same conversation? I think what would make me want to sit down and talk about this evening after this evening is the fact that I had an experience of my own with this. I think coming in to sit down in the room I am expecting that I'm coming to offer something to another group of people, but I got something back from that group of people tonight. And I think the thing that I would want to sit in the pub and talk about is what I learned tonight and how it was different from what I expected to learn. And I also think generally, it does get into that idea it is, it's been interesting having this conversation aware of the fact that we were having a conversation. I mean, just by, uh, by the very nature of the fact that there's a microphone sitting in the middle of the table with the same people I'd be, you know, someplace else talking about it with. But that there is, and it gets back to that philosophy thing to a degree, there is an inherent value to articulating things, to actually putting words to things, to do that extra step of processing that it requires to say out loud your thoughts about something and then to hear what other people are saying and have that dance with sort of what you're thinking and, and, and change then the way that you're going to articulate things. And it, it gets back to in terms of one of the things that we, we did talk about tonight and we actually talked about as part of this conversation is the importance of having a community. And it's something I, I talked about as part of the seminar tonight and hadn't really articulated, I think, ever before in quite those terms. But I am, I feel like, so much better an artist. And by better, which is a very general term, you know, I mean specific and driven and more fearless than I would be otherwise, 
because we have this community of people to whom and with whom you know we can articulate the things that matter to us and the things that we're trying to figure out it is something that we had, we hear a lot at the ends of these seminars that we do and we interesting i didn't hear anyone say it tonight but people talk about what a lonely business it is and that you feel very alone and you're out there and fighting your own battles and I just know if I felt like that, I'm that person who if I get home and no one's home, I call someone because I can't be alone. Uh, other people are not. But that importance of having a support system, and especially as an artist, having an artistic support system of people who you feel safe enough to talk about what's on your mind and to know that it will be respected which doesn't mean not knocked around, because especially when you're with people you respect, that's a big part of it, is let's bat this idea around and find out what's what. You know, but I actually think that people who become theater artists, largely, it's, they've chosen of all the arts that they could pursue, they've chosen the most collaborative one. And it is something, I, I, we did talk about it tonight, um, but it almost to me can't be overstated the importance of building a community and an artistic support system to support your growth and support your risk taking because New York City is a big and scary place to be and the, the, the business is an even bigger and scarier place even though it's inside New York City and if you don't have a gang to go to war with I think your chances of making it are slimmer. We have what are you working on on our wall and it's so crucially important that we remind ourselves that goal-oriented work is the key to enriching and deepening and lengthening the amount of time you'll be able to do the work but it's equally or more important that there are people there to ask you that question hmm. to piggyback on that just a little bit for me the importance of an artistic community being that I have come from a different career path and I was a music teacher, and I could say I taught choirs. And then I stopped and I moved to New York to pursue acting, but my job, where I made the money to pay my rent, was bartending, and it was very difficult for me to, to say that I was anything but a bartender if I didn't have a product to show someone mm -hmm. that said, look, I'm an actor, I'm on stage. Having this community of artists where I am doing more work than my my community of friends can see at times, it doesn't mean that it's not artistic, it doesn't mean that it's not work, and I am always reminded that I am an artist, I am an actor, I am writing, I am doing all of these things, and they're all real. You know, these other, if you, if you have a painter, and you know they identify as an artist because they paint, they might, their paintings may not sell, they might not get hung on any wall where anyone will see them, they might live in their place, but they created that art and that makes them an artist and so that's that for me having this artistic community it, it makes me never feel strange about articulating that I am an artist I am an actor and that that is a game changer for me I think that's a good place to wrap up uh, if you like what you're hearing and uh, would like to let other people know that the podcast is out there, please tell them. Go to iTunes and uh, write a review and give us stars. If you're hearing this and are not subscribed, you can subscribe at iTunes. 
Uh, if you want to learn more about the Cry Havoc Company and all of the public events that we have coming up, including our next career seminars, uh, go to www.cryhavoccompany.org. If you have comments or questions about the podcast, uh, you can email us at podcast at cryhavoccompany.org. And if you are especially interested in being sure that you do hear about our next career seminar, email our outreach director, Will Clark, at outreach at cryhavoccompany.org. So for myself, Jen, Jenny, Jersey, Will, and the entire Cry Havoc Company, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. You can learn more about the Cry Havoc Company at cryhavoccompany.org. Questions or comments can be sent to podcasts at cryhavoccompany.org. All music from this show came from the Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Thanks for listening and please subscribe.